Thank you for um, those who love and serve so well the families that you have entrusted to them. And we pray that today is a day that um, they feel a sense of your delight for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. <clears throat> well, one of the things that's happened in our office is we've had a, uh, it seems like a merry-go-round of new individuals joining our staff and on our team. And we have a, uh, a summer inter- intern, uh, Annika Nauman, one of our students, who's now a college student, who's going to be there in the office. So she will be starting tomorrow. If you stop in the office, you'll see her or talk to her on the phone. But we're excited to have Annika working in our office as a summer intern with us. Well, I need you to pull out your wallets and purses. This is what they say in church, right? Pull them out. And uh, I need you to pull out a $20 bill. So everybody, pull out your wallet and purse, pull out a 20 Okay, everybody, I'm being serious right now, right now. I'm not taking it from you, just pull it out. Just pull it out. If you got a 20 in your wallet or purse, pull it out, okay? If you don't have one and you got two, beg one from the, borrow one from the person next to you. So I know in a cashless society, we don't have these as often, but... Um, All right, everybody got your 20? There is incredible measures that are taking place in an effort to prove that these are real and not fake. Incredible measures taking place to prove that these are real and not fake. So let me just tell you what a few of those are. You know, one of them is that the color changes on the 20 in the corner. If you hold it like that, it's one color. If you tip it like this, it's a different color. I don't know if you knew that, but hold your 20 out, look at it flat, and then tip it like this, it changes colors on you. Here's another one down in the bottom corner by uh, Andrew Jackson's cloak. The letters are slightly raised. I tried to feel a difference. I couldn't really, but maybe you can figure that one out. Um, in the corners, there are blue and red threads woven into the, these bills. If you can look at them real closely, I couldn't find any, but maybe you can see them. Um, here's, another, uh, here's another one. That guy's scary. Hold, your, hold, it up in the, hold it up in the light like this. Right above the 20, you can see that ghost-like looking face. You see that? Everybody see that? That's kind of scary looking thing in there, isn't it? All right. Here's another one. Hold it up again. You can see the, the uh, let's see, this way. Hold it this way. Yeah, you can see the line going right across there. You see the line going right across there? All right. Now, anybody got 100? Pull out 100 if you got 100. Who's got 100? Anybody got 100? We had two of them in the first service. Oh, Tim's got 100 up here. Anybody got 100? Nobody's got 100. All right. If you pull out 100, you can see the blue strip on there. You can see the blue strip on the 100, another part of the security measures that they have in place. There's, there's Ben, and that, the Liberty Bell changes colors as well. And then lastly, the serial number is always linked to the first letter of the, the year. The, serial, the first letter in the serial number is always linked to the year. So if it's 2004, it's an E. If it's 2004A, it's going to be a G. 2006, it's an I. If it's 2009, it's going to be a J or an L. One other security measure to prove that it is real. Now, you can either put it in your pocket or drop it in the offering box on your way out. So, but um, There is an incredible amount of work and effort that is put in place to guarantee that our money is real, that it's not fake. Because nobody wants a fake, do they? That's why now we produce these things called certificates of what? Authenticity, right? To prove that something is real. Because if you buy something, you're like, is this real or did somebody buy it off the streets in New York City or is it being sold in the Green Dragon? You know, you're like, where are they selling this thing? You know, I want to know that this thing is real. Um, with booming sales on the Internet and Craigslist, everybody's trying to sell something to you, right? Everybody's got something to sell. And so for us, the question is, how do I know 
if it's real or if it's fake. Um, and so this morning what we want to do is we want to dive into this whole issue that Paul, as we've been in this series entitled Blueprints, as he's laying out some blueprints about what the church is supposed to be about, one of the things that he maps out is how do we know that the teachings in the church are true or false? How do we know that they're true or false? And so that's what we're going to dive into this morning. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy, that's where we're going to be. First, the book of 1 Timothy. It's page 961 on the Bibles that are there in your seats. So you can grab one of those and turn to it. If you don't have one of your own, you can follow along on your tablet or phone as well. As you turn into 1 Timothy, let me just do a quick summary of what we've talked about so far. Paul began by saying that the foundation for the church needs to be love. A love for one another should be the foundational element. And then he goes on to say that it also should be the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had a group of ladies join me on stage and talked about the tension um, that some of the women in that community were facing with leadership. And they wrestled with these issues. And how's their heart respond to, to men in leadership, especially when authority might be being misused? How do they handle that and navigate that? Then last week, we talked about men who have a desire to serve. And Paul said, it's not your business degrees or your business acumen, it's your character. It's your character that matters the most. And then he said, to men and women, he said, you have to have a good reputation inside and outside the church. That's what he wants for the people who lead. And so this week, he finally gets into this issue of how do I know if something is true or not? Something is true or not. How many of you have seen one of these things when you've been going through the store, right? You know what that is? That's called an iodine pen, an iodine pen. And when they scribble on a piece of, uh, on a bill with an iodine pen, the mark is yellowish, amber, or clear, then the currency is valid. But if it turns brownish or blue, or brown or black, then it's, there's starch in the paper, and they know that that is fake, that it's not really real. And so this morning, Paul's going to give us some ways to look at things that are said to help us understand, is this true or is this a fake? And so the first thing this morning for us to pay attention to is to be careful who you learn from. Be careful who you learn from. Now today is Mother's Day, and I thought about this uh, with the Apostle Paul because um, one of the things that was true about Timothy, who he was writing to, is in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul writes about Timothy's mother and grandmother. And listen to what he says. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same strong faith continues in you even today. It's ironic to me that Paul did not commend Timothy's father and grandfather, but his mother and grandmother. And he said that the faith that they had, that they lived out, that same faith is evident in Timothy. And part of me kind of thinks that these words that Paul is speaking now unto Timothy... These likely were some of the same words spoken to him by his mother and grandmother. Because what mother or grandmother doesn't want other people speaking words of truth into their lives of their kids? We all, they all do. They all do. And so I think the first thing that Paul says is, he says, be careful who you learn from. Be careful who you learn from. And one of the things that is true is that the younger we are, especially in our teenage years and in our early 20s, we are susceptible to people that appear knowledgeable, know what they're doing, and are confident, right? If they appear knowledgeable, they know what they're doing, and confident. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you got yourself in trouble when you were younger because of somebody you listened to and later you're like, ah, oh, they didn't have a clue what they were talking about, all right? 
A lot, we've all been down that road, right? We've all been down that road. And so Paul says to Timothy, be careful who you learn from. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, the Spirit says in the latter times, some are going to abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. He said, some people are going to walk away from their faith. They're going to walk away. And what's going to cause that? He says, deception. Deception. People who say they're one thing and they're another. He goes on to describe them a little bit more in 1 Timothy 4 too. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars. These are people that say one thing and do another. These are people that there's no truth in what they say. Um, they can't be believed. And then he goes on to describe their conscience. He's talked about this idea of the conscience almost every single week. Last week was the only exception. But he says they have a conscience that's been seared as with a hot iron. What's that mean, seared as with a hot iron? Well, it really is a medical term in that culture because they did not have drugs to... Um, like when you go to have surgery, you go to have some type of incision, they give you a shot and that numbs right the feeling around wherever that's going to take place. They didn't have those things in those days. So they would simply take a hot iron, get it really, really hot, put it right on where that was, and it would deaden the skin and the nerves all around that so that they could go follow through on that procedure. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about someone who's had that done physically. He said this is someone who's had that done to their conscience, the way that they think, the way that they make decisions. Um, they've been seared with a hot iron so that they can't even decide between right and wrong. They only have one choice. They only have one choice. It's like they've been scarred for life, if you will. He goes on to describe what this false teaching is all about that he's describing in verse 3. He says, they forgive, forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. You say, why would they forbid people to marry? We really don't know exactly what was going on, but there's a few ideas that might be reasons for that. Um, one of the teachings in that day was that um, there was this sense that, uh, that Jesus was going to come back to the earth the world as they knew it was going to end, and the future, the book of Revelation, it was going to be ushered in. And so some people in that day would teach, you need to stop doing everything you're doing and just wait for Jesus to come. That's what some of them taught. So stop working, stop taking care of your family, stop paying your bills, stop being involved in relationships, and just wait. There was another teaching in those days that said, um, intimacy, sexual intimacy between a man and a woman, there was something wrong and evil and sinful about that. And the way to avoid that is to avoid being married. We don't exactly know why, but there was some kind of teaching that um, was taking place around this idea. The other part was to abstain from certain foods. And this probably came from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when God gave rules for his people to live... Um, as they were in the wilderness for 40 years, he said, there's certain things you should eat and shouldn't eat. Now, some of that was because they didn't have refrigeration. He said, don't eat certain meats because they're more likely to carry bacteria and, and things that are going to cause sickness in you. So he said, stay away from those things. We know that now scientifically. But he said, stay away from those things. And so some of the religious community said, oh, you shouldn't eat that or you shouldn't touch this or don't go near that or don't touch this. This idea of certain foods you couldn't eat always came up. Always came up. As I thought about this, I thought, well, those aren't things that we talk about or we hear people talk about. What's the connection for us? Well, this is not one of those one-to-one, -one, but I think what Paul's focusing on is he's saying here, there are going to be people that are going to make 
that are going to draw your attention and focus away from the most important thing, which is your love for God and the gospel that changes people's lives to share that with others. And you're going to get drawn into these little issues that are small things, the little things. And you're going to get tempted to make the little thing the big thing. The big thing. And this happens in the church all the time. All the time. You know, when I was a kid, you know, there was this thing that you had to be involved as Bill Gothard seminar. Everybody had to do it. If you didn't do it, you know, you weren't, you weren't godly. You weren't, you know, you were in a Christ follower if you didn't do that, you know. And, and then it was, you know, growing kids a certain way, you know. There's, there's always something coming along the pike that you've got to do this and you've got to do this. If you really don't do this, you're really not serious about your faith. And, and is there some value in those things? And there is some small value in all of those things, but... I think here what was happening is they were setting rules and guidelines that Paul said, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And that's why Paul starts in 1 Timothy 1 and he says, the most important thing is love that comes from a real and authentic heart and faith. And someone who understands that it's only by the mercy and grace of God that you have a relationship with Jesus and that you will spend eternity with him. And so I think what Paul's saying is, don't get caught up in the little things. I think that's what his point is here. He goes on to, to refute it by going to a somewhat of an unusual place. He goes all the way back to creation. And he's talking about this food. And he said, this food which God created to be received with thanksgiving. God says, there's a lot of things in life that have come from the hand of God that I want you just to embrace and enjoy. Embrace and enjoy. He goes on to talk about it in the next verse. He says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Again, it seems like there were individuals in this faith community that were saying, No, you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, and these are rules, and these are regulations, these are restrictions, and a lot of boundaries that they were trying to establish. And are there things in our lives we should avoid? Yes, there are. I'm not saying throw all restraints off. But Paul's saying you're taking little things and you're making these a big thing. You're distorting it and not embracing and enjoying all the good things that God has blessed us with and has provided. You know, we talked this past fall um, about issues of sexuality. We talked about the same-sex attraction issue. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago about the role of women in leadership. You know, There's all kinds of things. There will always be issues in the context of a faith community where there will be small things that people will want to make the big thing. And I think a big part of what Paul is saying is let's not lose sight of the big thing. And there will be people, even in the church community, Remember when he was writing earlier to the, to the people in Ephesus, he said there's wolves that are going to come up among you and they're going to try to distort your thinking about those issues. About those issues. And he's cautioning them about the same things. He says, pay attention to what God has provided. Enjoy it with thanksgiving. Um, and that's really what he's inviting you to do. And so the first thing Paul says is he says, be careful who you're learning from. Be careful who you're listening to. Because they can easily get you focused on the things that aren't the most important things. He then goes on to say, be attentive to your habits. Be attentive to your habits. And instead of Paul saying, now let me tell you a little bit more about this false teaching and, and how to avoid it and how to stay away from it, he doesn't really do that. But instead he says, this is what I want you to pay attention to instead. You know, when they're training bank towers, they don't say, now here's a, 
Here's a pile of 20s that are real. Here's a pile of 20s that are fake. I want you to look at these, figure out how to know the fake from the real. That's not what they do. I sit down with the teller. I say, here's a lot of real 20s. I want you to handle all these real 20s over and over and over and over and over. So when you see a fake one, you'll know it right away. And so Paul, in this next section, he goes on to say, this is how you can pay attention to what is true. He says, point these things out to brothers and sisters. You'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Sounds like he's talking to pastors there. But the word minister is really the word servant that he uses in the previous chapter for deacon. He's saying, if you let other people know and you're attentive to these things, look what he says in the end of verse, uses food language again. You're nourished on the truths of faith and of good teaching that you have followed. He said, you have to keep exposing yourselves to things that are true, things that are true, and sharing that with others. And then he cautions them in the next verse. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths, things that where God's not involved, uh, or old wives' tales, things that have been passed along that aren't really true. He says, rather, I want you to train yourself to be godly. I want you to train yourself to be godly. And what he's picturing is he's picturing individuals that are in training, athletes that are in training. Now, most of our sports seasons have, have come, especially in the, you know, our school levels have come to an end, so the, the season is finishing. And so most of them will get a break for a couple months before the training will begin in the fall. But many of them, especially if they're at a high school level, their coaches will give them training schedules that they will be using all summer long. All summer long, you'll see them every Tuesday night. You'll see a group of high school students that meet down at the park and they're running all throughout Denver just because they're training, training, training. And Paul says the same thing. He says, it's possible to train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. And you say, what does that mean? Does that mean heavy doses of lots of Bible reading and lots of church and lots of God? The problem is he doesn't tell us what it means. I mean, we know a little bit about training. All of us do. All of us do. How many of you have learned to do something that you've never done before? Let me see your hands. See your hands. Now, how many of you drive? Okay, you've all learned to do something you've never done before. You didn't come out of the womb knowing how to drive, okay? But, but when you learn how to do something you've never done before, what happens? You, you try, and then sometimes when you try something you've never done before, sometimes you succeed, and sometimes you what? fail, right? And when you fail, you do what? You try again, right? You try again. And then you get a little bit better. You gain a little more proficiency until you become hopefully, now some of you it never happens, but never, you know, very good over time, right? Very good over time. Um, and so we all understand this idea of training, whether it's a skill at work, whether it's learning to drive, whether it's, you know, a, a new technique on, on this team sport that we're learning how to play. We all understand this concept. And so how does one train themselves to be godly? How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, it's interesting because in the very next verse, Paul doesn't tell us. He just tries to convince us it's a good thing. Look what he says. He says, for physical training is of some value. I think we would all agree with that, right? If you're on a team, you want to go to the workouts, right? You want to be there for practice, why? Because you want to develop your skills so you're better part of the team, so you can better execute, right? But even if you're not part of a team, does physical exercise have some value to you? Absolutely. You, you feel better, right? You may be healthier. You don't have to spend as much money on your wardrobe because your waistline keeps expanding, right? I mean, there's all kinds of benefits, right, from physical exercise. We know that. 
But Paul says, he says, but godliness has value for everything. Everything. He's trying to convince you that this is worth the effort. This is worth the effort. I mean, a coach has to do that with, it, with this team, right? Convince the team it's worth the effort because if we work hard, if we put in the hours, if we practice, it's going to result in wins and a champion. That's, coach has to convince them it's worth the effort. Paul's trying to say to you, this is worth your effort. This is worth your effort. He says, for godliness has this value of a promise in this life and the life to come. This life and the life to come. You know, the problem is figuring out what this whole train yourself to be godly thing is like. Um, you know, imagine if I wanted to draw closer to my wife and I thought to myself, you know, I really should come up with a plan. That would be good, wouldn't it, to come up with a plan? You know, um, maybe what I should do, it's, it's probably a good idea for her and I to go out once a week. So we're going to make this, this, this is going to be our date night. We're going to make this, Wednesday's going to be our date night. And you know, she, she kind of likes flowers. So I think every Friday I'm going to bring her flowers. And you know, one of the things she likes when I do around the house is when there's dishes in the sink and I clean up the dishes in the sink. She really, really likes that. So, so okay, every Tuesday I'm going to make sure I clean up the dishes in the sink. Do you think my wife would appreciate that? She would appreciate it a little, right? right? What woman doesn't like to go out on dates and get flowers and have something they want done around? She would appreciate that. But do you think it would deepen our relationship? Yeah, maybe a little. Maybe a little. But what if I said each week, and I asked myself, how am I going to get to know my wife better and show my love to her this week? This week. And whatever it was I came up with, thought of, chose to do it. Chose to do it. See, the hard part about this training to be godly thing is we know training requires a plan, right? You train, you have to have a plan. But, but what God is inviting us into is a relationship. Relationship. That's what God is inviting us into. And if you desire to have a relationship with God and to love Him more, and all you do is put together a training plan with a checklist are you going to get closer to God? Are you going to deepen your relationship with God? Probably just a little. A little. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is, this is uncomfortable for me because I like structure. I like training plans. I like to know, okay, this day you go out, you run this long for this time, and this is what you say. So you go bike, you do this. I like that structure. And so for me, I want to know, and I've spent much of my faith journey saying, okay, this day I'm going to do this with God, and this day I'm going to do this with God, and this day I'm going to do this with God. And I've come to understand, while there is some value in that, it doesn't deepen my relationship with God. It doesn't deepen my relationship with God. So you say, John, how does a person train themselves to be godly to be more like God in a relationship and not just with a bunch of rules. Well, I hope you come back this summer because that's what we're going to talk about. Later on this summer, we're going to talk about that subject. My friend J.R. Mann from Tabletop Ministries is going to be here and we're going to talk about this issue of how do I deepen my relationship with God and make it not about a list of rules. But that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, you've got to pay attention to this part of your life. 
You have to pay attention. And it's going to require some effort. Look at this next verse. He says, that's why we labor and strive. You're not going to go home and just kind of sit on your chair and say, wow, man, it would be really nice to be godly. I hope that happens someday. Paul says, no, there's going to be some work. There's going to be some effort. There's going to be some struggle. There's going to be some things God is going to confront in your life that are going to be hard. You're going to have to go backwards and face some things in your past. You're going to have to look at some relationships that are fractured that God wants to redeem and transform. This is hard stuff. It's not easy. It's not easy. But he says the reason we do that is because we have a hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. You know, when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life in its fullest, he said not only life in this life, but in the life to come. Unfortunately, for, much, for most of us, we get caught up in the reality that it seems like this life is the most important life. That's all we can see and know. But God says, no, there's a life to come. And that life to come is really where life is at its best. You see, what we're doing right now is like preseason. What we're doing right now is, is rehearsal. What we're doing right now is like two-a-days in preparation for opening night and opening day and the grand performance. And that will not happen till we leave this earth and we meet Jesus. And so Paul says, I want you to put some effort into I want you to train. I want you to do some things that are going to be about your life being ready for when that moment comes. And that is really hard for us to wrap our minds around. Because we're saying, well, I'll do it now if I get some benefit here. I'll do it now if I get some benefit next week. But you mean I'm going to get benefit sometime later in my life? Why would I do that? Unless it's about money in my retirement, then I'll do it. Then I'll do it. But about godliness? About preparing myself for heaven? Why would I do that? And that's why Paul said, I've got to help you understand why this will change everything. Not just a little, like staying in shape. This will change everything. He then kind of closes with this thought, and that's to be an example in life and faith. Be an example in life and faith. Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, who's a younger guy. We're guessing somewhere maybe in his, in his 30s. So I want to ask everybody in the room, if you are under the age of 25, would you stand and stay standing? If you are under the age of 25, would you stand and stay standing? Okay. Now, if you are, um, if you are under the age of 35, would you join them? If you're under the age of 35, would you join them? Okay. All right. And if you're under the age of 40, you can stand too. If you're under the age of 40, I'll let you give you... All right, a couple of you can stand and join them as well. Okay, now stay standing, stay standing. I want everybody to look around the room. This is just like it was in first service. This is actually maybe more than the half the room. Half the room. Okay, you can, you can all have a seat. Okay. This next section that Paul is writing is really, really important for you to pay attention to. And what I want to challenge you to do is as I'm talking... Excuse me. As I'm talking and giving you a list of things here, I want you to ask God, say, God, what is one or two of these things that I need to pay attention to in my life? I'm going to give you about a dozen of them. He just kind of bullet points all of these. But I want you to pick one or two 
that stands out to you. Okay? All right, here we go. If he could put in bullet points, he would do that, but he didn't, so I will. All right, the first thing he says is command and teach these things. He's talking to those of you that have um, a leadership role. You say, well, I'm not a leader. Do you have younger siblings? Yeah, I have younger siblings. Well, then you lead them. They look up to you. Even if they don't listen to you, they look up to you. You know? Are you, are you, um, <clears throat> do you have responsibility on your job? Do you have some people that are underneath of you on your job? Are you have a leadership role in your school? Um, if you have anybody that is underneath of you, you lead. And Paul says, if you have people that are following you, talk to them about what is true. That's what, that's what he's trying to say to Timothy. Timothy, you've got to stay focused on what really matters and what's true. What's true? The second thing he says is don't be looked down on because of your age. Don't be looked down on because of your age. Timothy was a younger guy, and our speculation is that probably he was being questioned by some people that were older than him. And when people older than you question, older than you, question you, there's usually two responses that we run to. One is you kind of determine inside, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove them wrong. Or if you have authority over them, you pull a power play on them and put them in their place. Right? That's what we often do. Paul says, no, that's not what I want you to do, Timothy. He said, I want you to pay attention to five things in your life. Look at these five things. He said, I want you to pay attention to your speech, what you say. He said, I want you to pay attention to your conduct, how you act. He said, I want you to pay attention to your love, how you treat people. He said, I want you to pay attention to your faith, how you follow God. He says, I want you to pay attention to your purity, how you view and treat the opposite sex. Paul says, you pay attention to these things. People will not look down, to you, down at you. People will look up to you. You pay attention to these things. People will not look down at you. People will look up to you. In your family, in your job, in your school setting, wherever you are, wherever you are. He goes on to say, Keep being exposed to God's truth. Keep being exposed to God's truth. Listen to how he, he says it in 1 Timothy 14, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse um, 13. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. In those days, they, they didn't have multiple copies of these in their home. Uh, they didn't have it on their phones. Um, there was one copy of this that would get pulled out and read whenever the church would meet together. That's why he says, make sure you keep reading it so they can hear it. I think what Paul is trying to say to him is, you have to keep being exposed to God's truth. You have to keep being exposed to God's truth. If you are around fake bills all the time, you will never discover what a real bill is. You need to be around things that are true. So it doesn't matter whether you open this up and read it. It doesn't matter what translation you read it. It doesn't matter if you put it on play and you listen to it on your phone when you're driving. Somehow find a way to keep exposing yourself to God's truth. I want to talk later this summer some ways in which to do that. Here's the next one. When you're told what you could do with your life, don't ignore it. When you're told what you could do with your life, don't ignore it. Paul says this. He says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Somehow, and we don't really know exactly well, in some way... Timothy was identified with this gifting. And he was given this responsibility to do something with it. There's a lot of different ways that that can happen. 
Um, but if someone has said to you, you're really good at this, don't ignore what they have to say. Someone says, you know, you're really good at working with things with your hands and putting things together. Pay attention to that. Someone said, you know, you're really good with kids. I don't know why, but you're just like a magnet to kids. You're with them. They come to you. You love them. They love you. Pay attention to that. If someone says, you know, you have some gifting in the area of music. God has given you skills and ability and a voice. Pay attention to that. If you're good with technology and you're good at with uh, figuring things out and making things work, pay attention to that. If you're good relationally with people, pay attention to that. And if you are in this room and you are over 40, you have to be paying attention to the people that are under 40 and telling them what they are good at. I don't know how many men and women I talk to later in their lives who say, John, I just really don't know what I love and I really don't know what I'm good at. And I say to them, no one ever told you? No one ever spoke into your life? No one ever saw this in you? He said, no. No. And so if you are at that season in your life and you see this in someone, if you see it, one of our students, through those doors or upstairs, make sure you tell them. If you see it in your own kids, Make sure you tell them. And Paul says one of the ways that you live out your faith is by knowing who God has made you to be and living this out. Because God has not only given you gifts and abilities and passions and desires, but God has a plan for you to use those in the circle of people that you are surrounded by to make a difference in this world. And if there's one thing everyone who comes to the end of their lives wants to know, is I made a difference somehow, in some way. He says, develop it, use it, serve God with it. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. If you know what God has made you good at, and you are using that, um, you're going to make a difference. But don't put it on the shelf. Don't hide it. Don't waste it. Some of you have things you're good at, things you love. And you've had someone dismiss it. You've had someone say, you're never going to make any money doing that. You've had someone say, why would you waste your time on that? Um, I hope you can retrieve that. I hope you can recover that and recognize God has placed this in you and that you can do something with it. He goes on to say, be diligent, pour yourself into it. And if you do, others will see it. He says, watch how you live. This reflects what you believe. He says in verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. You know, what we believe is reflected in how we live. What we believe is reflected in how we live. So if you say you believe what this says and you, you choose to come here and worship here and, and, and follow God, but you're going out and you're getting hammered on the weekend or sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you're not paying attention to what you believe and how you live. 
You're living a lie, saying one thing and doing another. And it's important that you talk to someone and get some help to sort that that out. And lastly, he says, stick to it. He says, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wow. He says, if you stick with it, if you stick with what you believe and how you live, and you do it living out of who God has made you to be, you are going to make a difference in your life and in the lives of other people. And we all want our lives to matter. Paul wanted this young guy, his life to matter. And so as you've been listening to this, command and teach. Don't be looked down. Keep being exposed to God's truth. Um, Don't ignore who people have said you are. Develop it. Use it. Be diligent. Watch how you live and stick to it. Is there one or two that stood out to you today, especially if you're under 40 this morning? Is there one or two that stood out to you today? If there has, I want to challenge you, tell that to one or two other people. You know, when we say those kinds of things out loud, the likelihood that we will do something about it goes up 50%. So don't just keep it inside. Tell a friend, tell a parent, tell a coworker, tell somebody, hey, this is what I've been challenged to. You don't even have to tell them it happened in church. Just say, I, I just want to work on this. I want to work on this. You know, a lot of our students are home from college, and this is sometimes the first Sunday they've been here, and I just want to challenge them to pay attention to these things in their lives. Don't just make this summer about making a bunch of money so you don't have as much debt so you can get back to college in the fall. Make it about what is it that God wants to do in me. And you're probably going to have to get some advice on how to change. You know, insanity is just on the same thing over and over and over again, right? So if you haven't been able to figure this out up to this point in your life, you're probably not going to be able to figure it out by yourself right now. You're going to have to go to a parent, small group leader, pastor, counselor, trusted advisor, say, I want to do something about this. Can you give me some direction? And ask God to change you this summer. Ask God to change you this summer. You know, Paul was talking to a young guy who had been given this incredible responsibility. And he said to him, don't let others look down on you. Live in such a way that they will look up to you. And pay attention to these things. Because that's the only way you're going to know what's fake and what's really real. Let's pray together as we close. God, your words from Paul to Timothy, um, there's a lot there. There's a lot of substance there, a lot that gets packed into that. And uh, I just pray that you would help those who are listening, God, whether we're under 40 or over 40, I think there's valuable truth for all of us to hear. But to recognize that we have this amazing opportunity to live out of who you've made us to be. Um, to be able to sort through what's false and what's true, Um, to develop some skills to cultivate our relationship with you and live that out this summer, God. Um, Lord, it's an incredible opportunity that is in front of each one of us. 
I know in my own life there's been a few things just over the last two or three weeks you just won't let me forget. And you're like, John, this is your job for the summer. Pay attention to these things. And so, God, I pray that no matter what it is that your word has penetrated our hearts, uh, convicted our souls, and that, God, as we seek to choose to follow you with a whole heart, 